Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We're very glad you're here. I extend a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us this morning. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Let us say together the words by which we light our chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Good morning. Our call to worship this morning is by Jose N. Harris. There is beauty in truth, even if it's painful. Those who lie twist life so that it looks tasty to the lazy, brilliant to the ignorant, and powerful to the weak. But lies only strengthen our defects. They don't teach anything, help anything, fix anything, or cure anything. Nor do they develop one's character, one's mind, one's heart, or one's soul. Unitarian Universalism is a religion that has chosen to have no creed, no list of beliefs we recite together every morning. Given that we don't have a creed, what is it that holds us together? We have many things that hold us together, but one of the things that holds this congregation together, that guides our feet as we run the race, is our mission statement, and we say it every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Sue Monk Kidd wrote this in The Secret Life of Bees. Knowing can be a curse on a person's life. I'd traded in a pack of lies for a pack of truth, and I didn't know which one was heavier. Which one took the most strength to carry around? It was a ridiculous question, though, because once you know the truth, you can't ever go back and pick up your suitcase of lies. Heavier or not, the truth is yours now. Now's the time in our service when we breathe together deep into that place inside where you are who you are. We're practicing stillness and silence. For some of us, this is the only time in the week that we become still. Follow your breath in and out as it gives you life. When your thoughts dance around and make lists, acknowledge that and draw your attention gently back to your breath. Let us enter the silence together. It's about time for me to start thinking about my New Year's resolution um, because it's better than Christmas shopping. And um, I always have really short ones. Um, I don't mean they don't last a long time. I just mean they're like two or three words. 
And I'm speaking about lying this morning. Um, The ninth commandment says, thou shalt not bear false witness. So as you can tell, there are 10 commandments. We've been doing a series. We're on number nine, so we're almost done. So um, one year, I just said to myself, or God said to me, or my inner wisdom came up with this, whatever, um, speak the truth. And I thought, oh, that's going to be easy because I'm a pretty truthful person. Um, and don't think I'm really good at lying. I don't really have the attention span to lie because you have to remember what you said if it's not the truth. And that's uh, my memory is. So I thought it would be cool. Uh, it was a really, really, really hard because. Um, I included all the little social lies, like, do you like this hat? Or, isn't my baby cute? (laughs) So I got good at the, um, ah, noncommittal, uh, Most of the lying that I had been doing, I found, was lying to myself. I hated giving that up. (laughs) And as soon as that year was over, I went right back to it. Because New Year's Eve resolutions are not forever, are they? Um, There's a, I was in South Carolina at this time, and there's a a social dance that goes on, and I think that goes on in Texas, too. I think it probably goes on everywhere. Um, There's a little dance that people do. You go, how are you? And you go, I'm fine. And it's not like um, the person who asked you really wants to know, and there's really nothing wrong with that. It's just a little lubrication on the wheels of social interaction. Some people get really shirty about, like, They asked me how I was, and they didn't care. It's like, no, it's not that they didn't care. It's like they were doing a little dance, and then you stood there and refused to dance. And um, in South Carolina, the dance just has a few more steps, possibly in Texas too, although I haven't found that really to be true, but perhaps it's because I've been in South Carolina so long, it feels really normal to me. Um, And, you know, in in the South, you can tell how little someone – this is just for women – how little a woman likes another woman because their voice goes up higher when they see her. They're like, hey. <laughs> that voice goes way up in the stratosphere. You're out. So we do the little dances of little social lies, lies, quote unquote, so that civilization can be maintained. And there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. Of course, this is just my opinion. But I get worried about civilization when I notice that I'm living in a fog of lies. The atmosphere is so thick with lies, you can barely even see your way. Part of that is advertising, because... The advertisers are supposed to put things in their best light, and sometimes they do that by just leaving out big chunks of the truth or by kind of bending the truth, and sometimes just by lying outright. And uh, it's always been this way. 
caveat emptor, buyer bewares from ancient Roman law. So you know they were doing it back then. Politicians lie, some of them. Um, And it's almost like we expect it. And so the politicians know that we expect it. And so they're lying and we know they're lying and they know that we know they're lying. So it's almost like not lying then. Is that right? And some politicians are fabulous and tell the truth. And... We try to vote for them. By the way, early voting has started. The text I'm working with this morning is from songwriters Buddy and Julie Miller. They have a song called Dirty Water that's about lying, and I won't read you the whole thing. But there are a couple of verses. You got to lie underneath your tongue where it can't be seen. You want to put the truth on a guillotine. But you might as well put out a fire with gasoline. You can serve dirty water from a golden cup. You can try to lock up the truth, but the door won't shut. Because the truth keeps coming out like blood from a cut. I love that. And when you're drinking dirty water, what happens? You get sick. And when there's nothing to drink but dirty water, you just have to exist in this miasma of queasiness. And the dirty water is the pollution of all the lies that are around us, and what are we supposed to do with that? I mean, that's not anybody's fault. It's just maybe human nature or the human condition or the way things are so that um, when you do the right thing or say the truth, people laugh. Folks say, Meg, you're so funny, and I'm like, I, I guess so, but mostly I just tell the truth and people laugh. And... Um, Not in a bad way. They just laugh like, yeah, that's true. I wouldn't have said it out loud myself, but. So after untruthful interactions, and I tried to explain this to my sons, and I think I did okay when they were teenagers, or they just got really much better at lying. Um, I just said, if you lie to me, then that's a bad thing. But the worst thing is that I won't know after that when you're lying or not. I I won't be able to trust you anymore. And our whole relationship is going to be damaged. Because I like to have the kind of relationship with you where I can trust you. And if I don't know whether you're telling me right or not, then I'm always reading between the lines and I feel the ground underneath my feet shifting when I'm trying to interact with you and I would rather just have the bad news or whatever, and then we can deal with what is rather than what you wish there were or whether you're protecting me or next time you need me to trust you, the trust won't be there. And another thing is the lie puts a distance between the liar and the person they lie to. It makes a distance because if I have lied to you, then I know something you don't know. And I watch you walking around not knowing it. And so I feel guilty, so I might start avoiding you, but I also kind of feel contempt for you because you're so ignorant. You don't know this thing. Of course you don't, because I didn't tell you or told you wrong. But the lie really has more consequences. You don't just have consequences for a lie when you get caught in the lie. 
the consequences are that the relationship starts shredding because you're watching the person walk around not knowing the truth and trusting you like a fool. That is not a good situation. Also, I think if you continue lying, you lose that inner sense of your ring of truth. You know what I'm talking about? How you can kind of tell when something's true because it rings like a bell. I'm worried that people lose that if they deal in lies too much. Also, if the days of your life, if you picture them like a river, the things you did earlier are back upriver and you're living downstream. You know how um, when the coal companies buy a certain property in the Appalachian Mountains and they, um, they start digging for coal there and they start pouring stuff into the river, it's all the people that live downriver from them, they're not making any money from the coal, but their water's ruined. So you live downstream from the things you did before, and so you're always dealing with the dirty water that's coming through from things you said or did in the past, unless you just kind of run back upstream and try to make amends, clean it up, etc. That way you can have clean water running by. So um, when you find out you've been lied to, that's pretty painful. Because this person who lied to you, now you know something else about them. You know that they can lie to you and make you believe that. And then you start distrusting your own instincts, right? You go, I always thought I could tell if somebody was lying to me or not. You can't, by the way. I was a therapist for 15 years. Everybody lies to their therapist. Everybody. Um. There's nothing, I mean, I'm not saying that was bad. I'm just saying that's just what happens. How much do you drink a week? Oh, probably three or four. You having an affair? Oh, no. No, not having an affair. I'm, I'm wanting to work on my marriage. It's okay, because eventually the truth comes out, because you try to shut the door and it won't stay shut. The truth keeps coming out like blood from a cut. So you don't know whether to keep interacting with this person who lied to you or whether to continue interacting with them, just knowing now that they might lie at any moment, or whether to trust your own instincts again or not trust yourself anymore either. Very painful. And we all live downstream from a lot of people's lies. In other words, you know, now we have to take off our shoes at the airport because somebody lied and about there being explosives in their shoes. And we have to fill out a bunch of paperwork. We have to lock our doors. We have to do all kinds of inconvenient things, paperwork being the most inconvenient for me. Um, but I'm just phobic that way. Um, because people have lied, and you can't put your children's names on their clothes anymore. You can't. Uh, put their pictures on the internet with their names anymore. You don't trust um, other people. It's hard to trust the government. Um, I remember Watergate because I'm ancient. And I remember that feeling of, um, 
wow, I'm not really sure that the president is telling the truth. Even though my dad said he was. And if he was lying, it was for a very good reason, because he knew a lot more than I did. He's the president. He knows a lot of things, and sometimes he can't say the truth, because it'll be trouble. And then I find out he's just this kind of guy who did some good things and some bad things, and a lot of crazy talk went on in that room, and kind of pitiful now. Lying was not a problem for them. So it shook my little uh, 14-year-old sense of things. Don't do the math. 14 is just an approximation. (laughs) And my heart has been shredded this past m- m- season, as many of y'all have, by the, the one incident after another, um, unrelated, mm, that's getting harder to believe, uh, incidents of uh, police shooting unarmed black men and getting away with it. Although in South Carolina, I have to say, not the most bastion of anti-racism uh, training, South Carolina, but there was a police officer that shot a black man who was diving back into his car to get his license because the guy had said, please get your license. So he dived back into the car. The guy shot him in the hip. And he was lying on the ground being filmed because we have that now. It's great. He's going, you shot me. Why did you shoot me? You told me to get my license. Why did you shoot me? And, um, and the police officer's commanding officer saw the film, said it was disturbing, and uh, brought charges against the guy, fired the guy, and everything happened the way it should, and his victim was still alive. But you see, in other places, <clears throat> less enlightened places than South Carolina, never thought I'd say that in a sentence, where this violence against black men has not just begun, it's just become really, really visible to people whose privilege it was not to notice it before. I have the privilege of noticing it. Sometimes you, you notice it, you get outraged for a couple of weeks, and then, <clears throat> and then you're back to being able to think about it when you want to. And I have felt myself um, feeling rude. And this is, you know, I learned how to be white at my mother's knee. I'm feeling rude for continuing to post about racism on my Facebook page, because you're not supposed to kind of keep at it. You're supposed to subside after a while and go, my, my, that was terrible. And, um, and yet, something has happened recently where it's as if many, many people who had the privilege of not noticing before suddenly had to see, wow, this happens to black guys all the time. This, this is not just new. And there's, there's a new hashtag on the Twitter world called Criming While White. If any of y'all on Twitter, just look that up, Criming While White. And it's white people confessing about their interactions with police that would never, probably, have happened had they not been white. You have a DWI. The One woman goes, oh, I had a DWI, and the police officer... Um, 
said I looked like a nice girl, and he followed me home to make sure I got home okay. Or I shoplifted in Target with uh, some of my friends, and the only one that got searched was our black friend. And the rest of us got away with it. Or I got uh, taken down to the police station, and my family came in, and they let me go because they said we looked like a nice family. Which there's nothing wrong with that. I'm glad they got let go because they looked like a nice family. But it makes you wonder, um, what trains us to know who looks like a nice family and what, who doesn't? See what I'm saying? Who looks like a nice kid and who doesn't? And you have to start asking yourself, is there something structural about this? It's not white people's fault. It's not black people's fault. It's not the police's fault. Um, I'm a systems, family systems person. And so I look at the whole system, and I'm saying we're all playing our parts. And now suddenly the people who the system has been created to protect, i.e. me, are going, you know what? There's something not right about this. I don't want to stop being protected. I just want other people to be protected too. And the lies are what bother me. We are lying to ourselves about this. And I'm not going to pretend to know the answers. But I'm going to point out one thing that shocked me. I thought, and I love Lily Tomlin, she said, no matter how cynical I get, I just can't keep up. So I thought I, I was kind of unshockable, but when I read about Assistant District Attorney Kathy Elizaday in Ferguson, in the case in Ferguson, Missouri, she was the assistant DA who instructed the jurors on what statute they were supposed to refer to to decide about Officer Darren Wilson's guilt or innocence. She gave them paper copies of a statute that says, if a suspect is fleeing, you're allowed to do whatever you need to do to stop him from fleeing. Anything. You can shoot, whatever. So the jurors, for two months, worked using this piece of paper, this statute, you can shoot somebody who's fleeing. The problem is, that statute was declared unconstitutional by the U.S. Supreme Court in 1985 probably before the assistant DA was born, certainly before the officer was born, certainly before Mr. Brown was born. So uh, what goes on with that? Is that a mistake? You think, yeah, because I'm a white person, and this system has been very, very good to me. So I go, yes, I'm sure it was a mistake on her part. She just uh, was overworked, and maybe she had small children, and um, she gave them the wrong statute that was declared unconstitutional in 1985 as the central statute by which they were supposed to decide. But then, 66 days later, right as they were beginning to deliberate, she comes in and says, um, you can read this in the transcripts, which the DA released. And I'm, so I'm paraphrasing just a little, but I'm pretty good at verbatim, so this is almost exactly what she said, although it was a little less coherent. She said, um, the uh, statute that I um, gave you to look at before about this decision 
It, uh, there, is, there are things in there not consistent um, with the law, so just uh, fold it in half, if you will. Take out your paper and fold it in half, and, um, and just disregard it. If you want to, that's the guideline. Just disregard uh, or or not, what you know. However you want to, um, because there are some things in it that are not consistent with uh, U.S. Uh, law. And one of the very intelligent but confused jurors says, "So uh, the U.S. Supreme Court can overturn Missouri law." What's the answer to that? How hard was that? So she doesn't just say yes. She says, oh, well, um, there are some aspects of it that are not completely in compliance. And and then this other DA sitting there, assistant DA goes, yeah, we don't want to really have a law school class right now. Dirty water. Even I, who am very comfortable in this system, except for my black stepchildren, whom I worry about every day, but very comfortable in this system, uh, have to confront the possibility that perhaps the DA's office didn't really give the grand jurors all the truth they needed. We lie to ourselves so often. Uh, I love this sociology experiment that they're doing at UC Berkeley. Paul Piff. He has a research team of Keltner and Piff. Um, most of his research is focused on social hierarchies that impact our lives and society in general. And in a TED Talk, he said that they did a series of experiments using... Um, a secret recording of special, secretly rigged Monopoly games. And so they just picked one player at random and gave her $400 every time she passed go. And everybody else got 200 and one other randomly picked player got 100 every time you pass go. And um, she had gotten more money, the randomly playered, the randomly chosen player, had more money than the other people, and the other randomly chosen lowest player got less money than the other people. And so in the games, when the advantaged player won, she was interviewed. Why do you think, um, gosh, she won? How do you feel about that? She's like, well, I just had a strategy. Uh, I had a strategy that really paid off, and um, I'm pretty good at this game. And really, hardly ever did the advantaged player understand that they had been advantaged. Molly Ivins, our beloved, who had her first public speaking gig at the Public Affairs Forum, First Unitarian Church in Austin. Um, I read that in her autobiography. She said, you know, George W. Bush was born on third base and and uh, got his whole life thinking that he was, uh, he'd hit a triple. He was just born on first, third base. And so we, we are called as, uh, as members of this system 
we are different members. We have different advantages, disadvantages. You're poor, you're rich, you have good grammar, you got braces as a kid, um, the color of your skin, where you grew up, how, what kind of grammar you had. Did I say that already? Um, and you, you kind of shake all your advantages and disadvantages in a, in a cup and pour them out on the table, and you just it behooves us to look at them and not lie to ourselves and say, I'm a self-made person. I don't need to pay any taxes. I made this of myself. You know, yes, I went to public-funded schools. Yes, I drive on public-funded roads, etc. You know the whole spiel. It behooves us not to lie to ourselves. So the song, Buddy and Julie Miller's Dirty Water, it says, dirty water makes us sick. If we're in a system where we have to pretend to believe lies, if we're in a toxic family or a toxic business or a toxic church or a toxic system, one thing we can do is get out of the system as fast as we can. Another thing we can do is fight the system from within, but the system has its own safeguards set up to punish the rebels enough to make everybody else in the system want to stay good. Or what do we do? Do we just stop playing? We can do that in a toxic church. We can find another church. We can do that in a toxic family. We could choose our own family. We can do that in a toxic business. We can um, sell the business and realize it's toxic because we're the owner or um, get a different job. But how do, we, how do we remove ourselves from a toxic society that's based on, that's wonderful in so many ways and yet based on so many lies and requires us to lie to ourselves and say, everybody gets treated the same by the police. If, if you had trouble with the police, you must have done something, and if they killed you, oh, well, you shouldn't have been doing whatever you're doing. Even Rodney King's wife, do you remember? Are you old enough to remember that? He got terribly beaten by the L.A. police, and his wife said, I assume she was also African-American, uh, she said, well, he shouldn't have been out that late. Like, yeah, but... Getting out that late doesn't usually carry a penalty of being beaten with nightsticks. Let's have some proportionality here. And sometimes we're very afraid of being expelled from the system because the system's all we know to survive. And so it's very difficult to let our water run clean. So does the truth always come out? Does it have power to save us? If you speak the truth, is everything going to be all right? I don't know, but the truth keeps coming out like blood from a cut. And if you've watched as much CSI as I have, you know (laughs) that blood never goes away. And they have luminol, and you just go and spray it. And even if somebody's cleaned up the blood, you, you can see where it was. So I hope the truth is like that. I hope, because it certainly seems like the truth is being wrestled to the ground and somebody's foot is on its throat. Whenever I watch TV, I think that. I'm sorry, but even Rachel Maddow sometimes will describe something that I know about, and the way she describes it is just a little twisted to make it look more outrageous than it actually is. And I think, not you too, Rachel. Everybody does this. We tell stories of what happened, what outrageous happened to us, and we just leave out the little part about stuff we did that was not so lovely. We make it a little bit more high contrast. What's the problem in that? That we were a little more innocent. 
Václav Havel, one-time dissident and then president of Czechoslovakia, said that the truth spoken by one electrician with his heart in the right place had a power that would soar over the voices of a thousand hired spin doctors, a power that could address the conscience of this mighty world. That has the ring of truth to me. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Sing with me if you care to. Rise up, O flame, by thy light glowing. Show to us beauty, vision, and joy. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.